into the darkness You're the only right among the wrong You're the only hope among the chaos You are the voice that calls me on Louder than every lie My sword in every fight The truth will chase away darkness light arrives in heaven opens holy spirit let us hear it when you speak the church awakens we believe the change is coming holy spirit let us see it when you speak you scatter darkness light arrives in heaven opens holy spirit praise in the struggle in the battle no matter what Sun comes up, it's a new day. 
It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship Him.
familiar. But Lord, that is our truth this morning. Great is your faithfulness to us. We've said it many times in our, in our service this morning already, but Lord, we come in with so many different versions of, of this past week. And Lord, there's not a single one of them where you haven't been faithful to us, where you haven't spoken to us, where, where you haven't walked with us, where you haven't held us through situations, God, that we weren't sure how we were going to get through. And so, Father, we just want to praise you and thank you today for how good you are to us, for your never-failing love for us. Father, thank you that we can be here this morning, that we can worship and we can sing and we can stand and we can be together. Well, there's so many of us who cannot this morning. But, Father, we pray you continue to be faithful in their lives just as you are in ours. Lord, we pray that in confidence, knowing that you will. Thank you for what we have today, Lord. Lord, thank you for Mother's Day. Thank you for every single mom that stands here today. Lord, thank you for how you've blessed our lives because of them. Father, we just ask you to continue to be with us as we listen to what you have placed on Pastor Paul's heart this morning, as we listen to the words that you've placed in, in the people who are going to speak to us in our classes and our Sunday school rooms. Father, allow us to know that we've met with you here together as we've met together. It's in your name we thank you and praise you. Amen. May be seated. Good morning. So Mara asked me to speak on Mother's Day. I'm, by, I'm Chloe, by the way. I have three kids and my lovely husband, Brock. Um, but Mara asked me to do the Mother's Day connection, and I wasn't super sure what to speak about. I have my notes, so I got to keep it in my eye line. Um, do I talk about my mom, who canned food, made us clothes. Like, we never knew we grew up poor. I had no idea until, like, high school when everyone points it out. Um, I mean, she literally is such an inspiration to me. Everyone who walks through her door is instantly one of her children. 
or do I talk about myself and how crazy my journey of motherhood has been, becoming a bonus mom at 19 to my boyfriend's daughter, or how I had children through medical marvel of modern science. And I was praying, and I was praying, and I got nothing. And then this week, I was doing what every mom does at least once in their life, hide in the bathroom from my children and the screaming and the fighting. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, God, I am so frustrated. I am so overwhelmed. And I am so alone, just beyond frustrated. And then I got a ping on my phone and another ping on my phone, and another ping on my phone. My mom friends reaching out to me randomly. Just, hey, are you okay? That is a God thing. And then my mom called me and was like, you know, God put it on my heart to call you today. Are you okay? And I'm like, no, mom. <laughs> right? And I got off the phone, and God said, see, you are not alone. When, when my mom was with all of her children, she was alone, constantly moving in the Methodist church. It's hard to make mom friends in the first place, let alone when you're moving and there's no social media. <laughs> but God placed women in the church that acted in a motherly, supportive well, I mean, I remember living in Lindsay and my grandma, Carlene, who was not my grandma, who I was at her house every day before my mom came home for work. I was taken care of by one of our church women. I think of myself in everything we went through, no matter the situation, court and divorce and all of those things are lonely and terrifying. I had friends completely ghost me, which means don't talk to me ever again, solely because I was so stressed, they said I wasn't fun anymore. Because I'm a 19 year old, I'm 19, I should be out having fun. But God led me to Brock and our daughter. And I was not alone because he brought new friends into my life and new support into my life that was godly, real support. Scrolling through, sorry. I mean, when I was trying to get pregnant and I couldn't, we tried for a year, I could not get pregnant and it's all we wanted. We went through fertility treatments and God placed amazing nurses who prayed with me when I got my shots who supported me and cheered me on. And when I finally did get pregnant, they were ecstatic. I got so many cards at my house from those nurses at the fertility clinic. God brought me to this church. Oh, there's a timer, that's helpful. Um, God, sorry. God brought me to this church because this church supports our women and our children. Holy, 100%. I mean, we have a program that helps single parents, specifically single moms. Our church loves our women, and I needed that. I needed to see our church that loved their women and loved the children that they had. Do, do, do. During COVID was probably the loneliest time in my life. Those first like three months of COVID where no one knew what was going on. It was terrifying. I was cooped up in my house with a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. It was very scary. <laughs> and the only adult to talk to was my husband and I'm not sure if those were adult conversations. <laughs> but God brought one of my best friends, Dana, into my life, and we wrote a book. Like, over COVID, I was never alone because she was there FaceTiming, we were writing, and she's a wonderful Christian and just great, and I don't know how I would have survived it without her. God placed her in my life. 
I think of all of the Bible stories, all of the Bible stories, I found comfort with Sarah's and Rebecca's story of being barren, and God gave them children. God provided. I think of Mary when I think of myself being a young mother. How shameful and lonesome to be pregnant out of wedlock, but God gave her Joseph. I mean, he could have walked away. He could have ignored his dream. He didn't. I look at the story, one of my favorite stories, of Naomi and Ruth. God made sure Naomi wasn't alone because he put Ruth into her life with a big heart who listened to God and what he was called, calling her to do. Being a Christian, being a member of a church means that we are never alone. And today, we recognize all of our amazing mothers, and I want you to know, everyone here sees you. We hear you, all of the hard work you do, all of the pain you go through, every heartbreak you feel. You are not alone because we are here because God has given you us, the church, to support and love you. You are not alone, moms. Everyone just hug your mom a little extra tight today, knowing the heartbreak that motherhood is and how lonely it is. But you may be lonely. You are not alone. Thank you, Chloe, for that uh, reminder of the importance of our moms and the importance of community. We're going to talk about community today, so it's a perfect segue to, to what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I'm going to start with the big lie. The big lie is this. My spiritual life is completely private. That, that what I do spiritually doesn't matter. No one else is involved in it. It's just all about me. Culturally, we are independent-minded. Uh, in our culture, in the American culture, we, we are very independent-minded, and, and there's good and bad in that. We don't want our kids to follow the crowd. We want them to make their own decisions. When we take it too far, we begin to believe we don't need other people in our life, that, that, that I can do this by myself, but we need others. But particularly when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about following Jesus, when, when we talk about our spiritual life, when we talk about life in general, we need others, and others need us. And as we, we think about Mother's Day, you can think about family members that have influenced you most. Maybe it wasn't a mother, but maybe it was a grandmother, a grandfather, or a brother, or a sister, whoever influenced you most. Think about that person right now. What, what if they would have said, eh... I really don't need them. I'm going to do my own thing. I think about my mom and my grandma, uh, my grandmas. They were great influencers in my life. And, 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 and when I was younger, I didn't have much to offer them. Yeah, it's true. And what if they would have said, you know, Paul's kind of a drag. I don't really want to spend a lot of time with him. But instead, they invested in me. And so when we talk about this ideal of community, there's this this part where I submit myself to community and, when, and I receive the benefits, but I also submit myself to community and others receive the benefits. See, here's the truth. My spiritual life is built and founded in community. And I wrote my spiritual life when I, when I wrote this sermon, but the truth is life is built and founded in community. We need other people. Uh, as you prepare for, for Brian to be here sometime in June, uh, one of the things you did in looking for your next pastor is you did some surveys, and, and I, I paid a little bit of attention to the surveys, but your biggest need that I saw was this need for discipleship. Discipleship is based on relationship. Discipleship is found in community. And so to the extent that you invest in community, if discipleship is your greatest need, to the extent that you invest in community and in relationship, you will be discipled. 
Uh, we've used this phrase often. It's an Andy Stanley phrase. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So, so you can have the intention of discipleship, but discipleship is not born in our intentions. It's born in our direction. And so if we need others for discipleship, then direction for discipleship includes community, includes relationship, includes others. So before we even get into the sermon, are you part of a small group? Have you given the collectives a try? Are you part of a Sunday school class? Are you praying with others? Are your kids, your teens, your children plugged into community? Are you committed to community? As we work through this series, coming out of this grave, we're, we're ta- dealing with letting go of dead things. And, and last week we talked about sin, self, and shame. And, and sin's a big topic. We could have spent the whole time talking about different ways we sin and disconnect from community. And, and, and it's not just about sexual immorality and murder and stealing, but sins of attitude. We listed bitterness, hatred, prejudice, dissension, division it is a form of sin. It's self turned in on self, and sin isolates us. It breaks community. It breaks relationship. Relationship with God, with others, it creates division in families. It creates division in churches. It creates dissension. As, we, as I was working through this series, two phrases kind of came to me at about the same time that I thought I needed to talk about. And, and the first was this ideal of sin, shame, and self. And the other phrase was this, conviction, confession, commitment, and community. Those two phrases God just laid on my heart. And in a lot of ways, it feels like conviction, confession, commitment, and community are are positive things. They are. And so when we're talking about dead things, why, why is God laying those things on my mind? And I began to think about that, how sin isolates. And, 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 and when we sin, it, it breaks relationships and breaks community. But sin's not the only reason that relationships and community is broken. Sometimes isolation is done by our own choice. Self-isolation brings death. In other words, when we sin, we break relationship. But we can also withdraw from others, ignore relationships and community. Self-isolation is a dead thing. Self-isolation kills relationship. It kills community. It hinders discipleship. Um, I've always thought... That, that in, in our denomination, that, that we've taken the theology of a community-based discipler, John Wesley. John Wesley was all about community, and we've superimposed upon that an evangelistic uh, perspective, and we focused on these crisis moments when John Wesley was deeply concerned, not with just crisis moments, but community. That his method of discipleship heavily leaned in to community. Can we go back to the beginning? In Genesis 1, uh, God creates. It's a beautiful creation poem. And, and, and then it, it ends with humankind being created. Then in chapter 2, you're giving more details. And you have this perfect creation. And you have Adam. And, and then God says, you know, this perfect creation is not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And all the ladies in the congregation need to say amen to that, right? It's not good for man to be alone. And, and we're not just talking about man being alone. It's loneliness. That, that there's something inherent in community that brings perfection to perfection. It finishes what God was trying to do. We were created. You were created for community. Uh, we were created in the image of God. It, and the Bible tells us we were created in the image of God. And, 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 and I can't explain it fully, but, but God is one and yet he's three. That, that, that God and his oneness exist in community. That, that somehow God has this community built within him. 
where we're told that God is love and, and, and love is a relational word. And, and so God's nature is best reflected in relationships. And so God has existed eternally in the community of Trinity expressing love because love is his nature. And we were created in the image of this God with the need for community, with the need to express love, which can only happen in relationship and in community. We were created to love. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you were created to love. Tell him right now, you were made to love. Sounds like, a, sounds like an Elvis song, doesn't it? And then sin enters the picture. So, so they were created in this perfect image of God with community in mind, and, and sin enters the picture. And the first reaction is what? Shame and hiding and accusation. It begins with hiding from God. It begins with accusing one another, division between Adam and Eve, and there's a breakdown in relationship, the rise of self, and the death of community. And so Jesus comes. And Jesus comes to restore relationship between God and me, between God and you, and between human and human. <laughs> that the intention of God was not just to restore relationship between us and him, but to restore relationships here in our community as well. And so last week we talked about sin, shame, and self, and this week we'll talk about conviction, confession, commitment, and community. Let's talk about conviction first. John 16, these are the words of Jesus, beginning in verse 8, he says, And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's going to come, and it's to your best interest. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and he is going to convict. He's going to convince and this Greek word used here for convict has the connotation of a lawyer's cross-examination. And so I, I always, you know, it's always been fascinating. I mean, lawyers growing up, I, you know, I was always fascinated, you know, this cross-examining of, of witnesses. Anybody remember Perry Mason? You know, Perry Mason would, would always get the person to admit on the stand that they were guilty. He never represented anybody guilty. I've never had that privilege. A lot of my clients were as guilty as sin. <laughs> but that image, and, and I have clients in the office now, and you know, a lot of our work is, is estate kind of stuff and contract kind of stuff, and, and so we work on things, and they sit at a, a table in my office, and then I go over to a computer and type, and they get to watch me type, and I say, isn't this just like the lawyers on TV? <laughs> they should make a TV show, people coming into a lawyer's office and but then this week we had a, a, some depositions in the office, and, and that's, my, that's my experience as litigation. And, and we're doing depositions in the office, and we're cross-examining witnesses, and, and I'm like, woohoo! <laughs> There's lawyers that don't like that stuff. They don't like to argue. I do. Uh, pray for me. <laughs> but that's the image. It's the spirit asking you questions, not to make you feel bad, but to find your way, to, to point out those areas in your life and, and just to continue this dialogue and, until, until you can begin to see that God has something more in mind for you. See, conviction at its core is relational. It's about a conversation between you and the Holy Spirit. In the passage, there's three things that the, the conviction, the conversation, the convincings deal with sin or unbelief. So, so he's going he's to show you those areas in your life where you're not living consistent to what you say you believe. Now, you, you, you say that you believe the Bible's important, but you've not picked it up for two weeks. 
And, and the Holy Spirit will talk to you about stuff. Like you, you say church is important, but, but you make every excuse not to be here. You know, the, the Spirit will point those things out. He'll, he'll, he'll show us, convict us to righteousness or, or, or the right way of living or Jesus is the way. That, that, that the Spirit can show us how Jesus lived and say, is, is your life matching up to the way that Jesus lived? Are you living right-wise towards God, right-wise towards others? As to judgment, it matters how we live. And the Holy Spirit gives us, through these conversations, this understanding that the way I live matters. That, that there's something at the end of this life, and it's just not, well, how can I enjoy life now, and, and what can I get away with? But the Holy Spirit gives me this understanding that there's some, something at the end of all of this. So where should conviction lead? Not just to shame, not just to guilt, not just me by myself, but conviction is meant to lead us back into community. When we sin, when we fell, when we fall, when we miss the mark, conviction leads us to confession, to community. John James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You know, it's kind of interesting here. James is writing to believers, not unbelievers. He's writing to church. And he's saying, you know, when this reality of sin invades your body, the direction is not apart, but together to this place of community and confession. And confession leads us to this point of vulnerability, to this point of deeper community. If sin destroys community, confession is a means of restoring community. You know, as we think about this and you know, this, this ideal of confession, of being drawn back in a vulnerable manner to the community is so important in the scripture. And, and there's so many passages that we can go, go to and, and talk about the importance of community. But I think Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 says it best. Therefore, brethren and sistren, <laughs> that's not in there, but... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So, so the Hebrew writer, the Hebrew preacher, begins with hope. He says, you are people of hope. We have hope because of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done, he has restored this relationship with God that we can have intimacy, that there's not a veil separating us from God anymore, but we can have full access to God, confidently approach the throne with clean hearts. And these things lead us into something more. He says, we need to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And, and, and the literal translation is spur one another on. It, it's the ideal of, <laughs> this is a terrible image, but it's the truth. It's the ideal of provoking one another, all right? You know, poking somebody in the side and saying, hey, 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 hey. That's kind of the image that the Hebrew preacher uses. Hey, why don't you provoke each other until you do something good, right? 
if we can provoke, provoke others, then it invites us to be people who can be provoked. <laughs> uh, you know, there's this level of vulnerability. So, so some of you are good provokers, but not very good at being provoked, right? <laughs> but the invitation is both ways, that, that this ideal, that there's this level of vulnerability and confession leads to this, where, where others can kind of nudge me in the side when, when, when I'm not moving in the right way and, 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 and I accept it and I'm willing to do the same for others. Community. In the ends, not forsaking our own assembling. We need each other. And yet oftentimes, I have Perhaps you have. We isolate from one another. So how do we isolate? Well, one way is this. It's, it's, it's a little bit, um, you, you don't leave relationship, but we fail to leave comfort zones. So it's the same friends. It's the same group. You, you never open yourself up to others. When was the last time you allowed someone new into your inner circle? When, when was the last time that someone was invited to share, fully share community with you that you really didn't know? See, one of the amazing things about a church, a, a church can turn into a clique very easily because we have these deep, significant relationships, and God bless those deep, significant relationships. But the church exists here as the body of Christ so that people that don't have those relationships can find a place here and they can plug in and fit in and be loved as if they were always here. See, that's the, the beauty of the church. Um, maybe you need a fresh perspective. Maybe they need your perspective. I've talked about this in the past, but there's natural relationships. So, so there's people that root for the same team as you do. OH. Oh, you bunch of Buckeye fans. Uh, uh, there's people that are just natural relationships. You know, they, 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 you, you, your conversation's free, and, and I'm thankful for those. But in the church, there's also providential relationships. That, that God has placed these people in your life to help you see things differently. To, to, to grow you so that they can grow through you. And so we need both. We need to be vulnerable with others. See, sometimes we, we isolate. We're here, but we're not here. We're not real with one another, and, 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 and we're shallow, and we really don't share what's going on. You know, there's some folks in here that are shy, and anytime I talk about this, you instantly tune me out because you're like, oh, he's going to make me be like in a social diva and all this stuff. No. That the reality is, folks, that oftentimes the most extroverted people are the people that have the least vulnerability. That it's all just surface. And introverts, you are important because you're the ones that sit down around cups of coffee at breakfast and have those deep, significant relationships. We need you. We need extroverts and introverts to use their gifts. Um, my concern... And um, I can say these things because I'm on the way out, right? <laughs> COVID is going to give us an eternal excuse to restrict relationship. You know, I have tried to walk this line for two years with this as best as I can. I have. You know, I don't know. They didn't teach us this in seminary or law school. Nobody knows what they're doing here. And I've tried to walk this line, but I, but I see this commercial every once in a while, and it, and it grates me. It says, alone together. And I understand, I guess, kind of what they're saying, but I don't. You can't be alone together. 
We need each other. And my concern is that COVID will give us this forever excuse to stay away. Um, I'm glad, and if folks, if, you're, if somebody's joined me on live stream or, or you're going to watch this video, I'm glad that we have this. I think it's an important component of the church to have. This allows people to see what we do and, and investigate a church and, and see, is this a place I could fit in? But it can't be your forever connection to church. We need each other, and not just an image on a screen. We need each other in person. We need real community. We need to be together. Can we go back to the big lie? The big lie is my spiritual life is completely private. The truth is my spiritual life, my life, is built and founded in community. Several years ago, Terry and I went on sabbatical. And uh, I kind of feel like I'm going on sabbatical now to a certain degree. And, and, and so we went to church every week. Every week we went to church. But can I be honest? We weren't part of a church. <laughs> it was kind of nice. Nobody asked me any questions. I didn't have to do anything. You know, I just could go and sit. And when services were over, I didn't have to lock up anything or do anything. I didn't have to check bathrooms. Nobody told me when toilets weren't running or anything. I just laughed. But I wasn't part of a church. So let me ask you, are you going to church or are you fully a part of church? That's where discipleship happens. Um, you know, I was formed not by going to church, but by fully being part of a church. I love Chloe's reference to grandmas that aren't grandmas in the church. That's been my experience. I've had relationship that go beyond the norm. So there's two parts. Your commitment to be a part and your commitment to make a space. Will you make space for others in your relationship? All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, right now, we just give you praise and thanks for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness to us. When we were strangers, you brought us in. You included us. You invited us to be a part of your table. And now as we sit as the body of Christ, we have this great privilege of inviting others to be a part as well. Lord, may we be committed to this community. May we be here. May we be part of small groups and collectives and prayer groups. May we be vulnerable with one another. And Lord, as we do this, may we always have an awareness that there's someone outside our circle that you're calling us to draw in. Help us to pay attention, not just to those natural relationships, but also those providential relationships. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. God bless, folks.